0: Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. Rose, today we are talking about probably my... The topic I get most passionate about, so if I get fired up, put an extinguisher on me because <laughs> they said like just stop, stop getting so worked up about it because this this <laughs> this topic triggers me to no end, and it's really yeah. about topical skincare and you know all the the misleading marketing that is out there and the the misinformation and look I even this week I went into a skin clinic. Um mm-hmm. it was a brand-owned skin clinic and I wanted to get a sample of a moisturizer. And the and I'd already looked, I had already looked at the ingredient list and I had a, a good idea of what was in there. And my skin is quite sensitive. So I do react to certain certain preservatives, not all and also certain fragrances but not so much the synthetic fragrance it's actually the essential oils and things like that in there um Mm -hmm. and I I saw that this brand had a ton of um fragrant compounds in there anyway I thought well I'm not so sure but I'll, I'll I just wanted to get a sample I went in and the girl was like oh no we can't give you a sample um, you have to book an hour consult and I have to make sure that I mm. get the right moisturizer for you. Um, and then I said, well, you know, I'm really sensitive. I would really like a sample. No, no, we have to put you in. And then I said, well, I just wanted to find out, you know, if, what um, fragrance you've got in your product. No, we don't have fragrance in our products. We've got botanical extracts. And I thought, well, that's not true because I've already looked at your inky list. You've got botanicals, but <laughs> a ton of, compounds giving fragrance which are actual allergens so that triggered me um and then i said well what preservative system do you use and she said no um, we don't have a preservative system we don't use preservatives and i said well i'd be very surprised that you didn't have anything to stop microbial contamination oh oh you'll just have to book a consult and we'll go through the ingredient matrix and I just said, okay, well, um, I'll think about that. And I walked out and that's when I called David. that I'm never going to buy from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I think it was more the, one, the lack of knowledge. Two, the fact that she didn't understand the ingredients that triggered me. Three, the fact that she hadn't even looked at the inky list. Um, and four, it was just this patronising sort of snobbery of I know more than you which triggered me because I thought you actually don't know what you're talking about. So I think this, as you can see, I'm already getting fired up. Um, This, (laughs) me, it's about really understanding what we can tell about skincare and what we can't before we put these, I guess, big judgments, because I think in professional skincare, depends on which professional you speak to, but Skincare brands have become cult-like, you know, and sometimes Mm. a therapist will say, oh, no, that brand's bad because it's got fragrance. Oh, no, don't use that. They've got preservatives. Oh, no, they've got alcohol and, you know, scaremongering on ingredients when, quite frankly, I think it's really unprofessional and also usually taken out of context. Mm. And I'm sure you've probably heard Different. I know sales reps or trainers tell you different things about different products and, and different ingredients as well.
1: Most definitely, um, and I think um, as a as a therapist working on clients, I don't think there's one brand that actually does everything. And I think clients can get caught up in the whole, you know, what's the latest thing? Who's using what? What are the Kardashians using? What are they doing? What's my friend doing? I think as a therapist, you really need to have a very good understanding of that client's skin um, and then their their overall health, as much as we are able to understand, before you can really prescribe skincare. and then a basic understanding um, of ingredients and how they work and what they do in the skin. What are we trying to achieve? You know, what, what do we want to do for this client? You know, that client's already coming into the clinic confused as anything, so they're looking for some answers, but they want the right answers. They don't even know who to believe anymore oh, yeah, my friend told me this, I should be using this because I've got this, you know, I should be exfoliating three times a week. There's so much misleading information. I guess that's what I love about what we're doing because you being as passionate as you are about ingredients, I love hearing you speak about this because, to me, it clarifies so much information um, and, and it makes my life easier as a therapist thinking, okay, I need to give this client this ingredient and that ingredient and, no, that doesn't matter and this is going to work really well. So, Yeah.
0: And I think it's about not being patronizing to the clients because there is so much information available. I think back in the 90s, it was very different. You know, cosmeceuticals were only just coming out and probably the products you bought in a department store were more, you know, those perfumed luxury products. And it was really through a professional skin center that you would buy you know, hydroxy acids. I remember when glycolic first came out and then hydroxy (laughs) acids. It's just this incredible ingredient out there and, you know, it's this cosmeceutical. And then we started seeing, you know, the vitamin A's and the retinols and the um, vitamin C. And there was this separation of professional skincare or the concept of it anyway, professional skincare and more sort of your luxury department stores. And then over time, these cosmeceutical ingredients have become available mainstream. And you can buy them in department stores. You can buy them in the Mecca um, stores and, and those types of retail outlets. And I think, again, it then becomes very confusing for a client when they're told you can't get active skincare from a department store. Yet some of the department stores sell professional skincare that some skin therapists sell. And it's just really, really confusing. And I I think the main thing to understand is, you know, is there a difference between medical grade, professional skincare, and what you can get in a department store in a mecca? Because ask a professional skin therapist and they'll probably tell you something very different to what a cosmetic chemist will tell you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. I think... For me as well, um, you know, and and with all due respect to everyone, everyone can run their own business the way that they want to, but there is a very different level of knowledge between someone like a dermal therapist and a skin specialist that works in a department store. A skin specialist related to their own brand. So there may be a specialist in the brand that they're selling um, and they have a little bit of limited knowledge, right? Um, But for me as a dermal therapist, I mean that is my question because for instance
0: I've been a qualified skin professional but I have worked with those qualifications in a department store you know and I know mm-hmm. I've met dermal therapists that have worked in Mecca so even that can good we, point you know yeah good where does that info like you could have any qualification and work anywhere, really. I mean, I know what you're saying. I'm playing devil's advocate, but <laughs> you get my point too. Like, they could have a qualification and think, you know, it's more fun to work here than in I, I don't want to wax any more bikini lines and laser hair anymore. I just want to retail because that's my passion and talk to people about skin. But they could have a dermal therapy degree.
1: And that's fair. And and that needs to be recognised. Yeah, they
0: could. hypothetically. Yeah
1: you know i'm always yeah hypothetically <laughs> <laughs> i don't think a dental therapist and and if someone out there is working in Mecca and you're a dental therapist that is absolutely fine this is not what this conversation is about there's no judgment here um but i guess for me working in a clinic environment i am getting to see Clients on a very different level, a very different understanding, building a relationship and learning to get to know them on a deeper level, as opposed to prescribing a skincare product on a more superficial level, creating maybe a bit of a temporary fix. So, I think that's where I'm trying to make my point. I have, I have, I don't know how far I can get into this, but you know, when I have clients say to me, I've been to NECA and I was prescribed this cream and it's going to answer all my queries with my skin and doing everything I've ever asked but I look at them and I don't judge I don't I don't start you know um, bagging anyone that works at Mecca but I just help them to understand okay this is what's going on with your skin for this particular reason we look, need to look at this on a much deeper level there is no one cream that's going to fix your condition mm. yeah
0: and you know, disclaimer out there. I adore Mecca. I love Mecca. I'm, you know, I'm. I I think it's incredible. And I've I've only ever had an incredible experience with very knowledgeable people. Um, but I'm sure. Basically, it doesn't matter where you go. You need to see someone that knows what they're talking about. And I have spoke. Like I just mentioned, I w- I went into a clinic, a qualified dermal therapist who did not know what they were talking about. So I guess my mm. point. Is coming more from a consumer perspective sometimes it is just trial and error to find someone that really does understand skin that you can vibe with that is passionate about ingredients and really knows what they're talking
1: about and takes the time to understand the ingredients like and that's that's a really key point what you just said really understands skin um And regardless of whether you could be a beauty therapist and have an amazing understanding of skin and you could be doing all these courses that helps you to grow and learn, you could be a dermal therapist without a really true understanding of skin and just be a little bit more textbook related, you know. So, yes, 100%, you're right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So
0: what do you take away from an inky list? So an inky list is basically the back of the label that lists all the skincare ingredients.
1: Do you actually look at it? To a certain point, um, I'll look at it, but I don't really get a lot of information out of it, to be honest. It'll list, okay, the ingredient. It could have a derivative. It could have, um, you know, something that's relative, um, but it doesn't give me all the information that I'm looking for. I'll get more information from the brands and they will list the ingredients. They'll list percentages. They'll list, list exactly what they've combined with each ingredient for this particular reason. I'll get a lot more information from the brands, the companies that I do from an inky list. It just lists things, really.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, and the reason I ask that is I think there's a lot of information online and you see all these influences saying, you know, again, I saw this YouTube channel yesterday that triggered me. They were they were actually going through, I think it was the new Augustus beta cream, which is really expensive. It's like a $500 cream and it's it's trending at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: recommending it. And she was actually going through the inky list. And she was pulling out these ingredients and I would say 60% of what she was saying was incorrect and she wasn't, she didn't have any skincare qualifications and she openly admitted that it was just a passion of hers. But it was still infuriating for someone to <laughs> this ingredient list and explain ingredients when that's not what they were in there for. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's important to understand that the the inky list can tell you a little bit about a product. So First and most importantly, if you have an allergy to something, it can probably give you, it can tell you if that ingredient is in there. But even then, let's say you have a sensitivity to a certain preservative. It depends how much of that preservative is in there. So that preservative could be used as an excipient for a raw ingredient that is in minuscule quantities that probably wouldn't trigger a sensitivity In Australia, you probably wouldn't have to list that ingredient anyway because it's an excipient, Mm. but in the word. So this is where it gets very confusing. Um, You might look at something and go, oh, that's got a paraben or a propylene glycol, but you don't necessarily know, is that an excipient or has it been put in there? Um, A guide can tell you roughly where it is sitting on the inkey list as to how much of a percentage is, is in there. But again, you know, people get confused. They may see alcohol on a on an inky list and automatically presume that's going to dry and irritate your skin. Well, especially denatured alcohol in a high amount, some people say it's drying, but probably not. You'd have to sort of probably be using an, a neat alcohol swab. Um, mm. Then again, um, you know, certain forms are fatty alcohols and they're there for emollients. So people sort of see something and then jump and think it's, it's bad. Fragrance gets a bad rap all the time. Um, and so now what happens is brands will try and hide the name fragrance. So instead of putting perfume or fragrance in there, they'll start putting essential oils. So they'll say, well, we don't use artificial fragrance, which is what happened with this brand I went in the other day and they used essential oils or they will actually use the fragrant component of the essential oil. So it's not listed as an essential oil. They can then say, we don't use artificial fragrance and we don't use essential oils. But those products are full of fragrant compounds that are potentially allergens, but they don't, that's, that's what grinds is. But then they tell you that, no, we don't have that, but they don't tell you about the fragrant compounds. And I think even then, Is it an allergen? Well, it's only an allergen for someone that has an allergy to it. So quite often, you know, people will scaremonger on ingredients and say, oh, don't use that, it's an allergen. But it would be like me saying to you, Rose, don't eat nuts, they're allergens. Do you know people can (laughs) die from those and they can have allergic reactions? And you would say, well, yes, but I'm not allergic to them, so I can eat them. It's the same with fragrance. It's like, well, yeah, I can use it because I'm not allergic to it. So I think We need to start getting some level of critical thinking when we're looking at skincare products and we need to start to um, stop the scaremongering because I hear people say, you know, artificial fragrance will cause pigmentation. Well, we do know that certain um, compounds and essential oils are photosensitizing, but there is very strict legal limits of what you can put in of a sensitizing ingredient. And you would also have to label that on the packaging, you know, wear SPF and don't go out and direct sunlight, you know, a caution. So again, all this information is often taken out of context to sell a product. And for me, that's a huge red flag. If whether it's a, a sales staff member in a department store or a skin professional saying to you, my product is better because it is free from, we don't use. That's a huge red flag for me because it usually tells me they don't understand skincare ingredients. And I, I went to a launch recently, and the first thing they said about this brand, this brand's great. It's all naturally derived ingredients. And yeah. It's free from nasties and it's free from parabens. I'm like, oh, so what? So, what does it do? And they couldn't answer. I said, what do you mean free from nasties? And again, triggered. I was triggered. I was like, what do you mean free from
1: nasties? <laughs> what,
0: what are you talking about? What nasties are you talking about? Um, but it was full of pumice stone and exfoliating and really abrasive ingredients. And, you know, a, a retinol that actually wasn't a retinol. You know, it's like it was called retinol. But then I looked at the ingredients and it was Bacuchio. And it's like, well, that's not retinol.
1: Mm. That's not retinol, Yeah. Yeah, and I do see there's a lot of confusion with clients on this topic. But even as um, being in industry as a therapist, if we're not proactive ourselves about getting a really good understanding of ingredients, um, you know, I think that's going to implement the products that we prescribe to a client in such a way that it can create an adverse reaction on a client's skin. And a lot of the time we're giving, we're, we are given misleading information from the brands as well. Like they're trying to essentially sell us things. They want us to stock their brand in the clinic. So they're going to rave on about all sorts of ingredients and how their product is formulated and this, that, and the other. But, you know, how do we know? They're just trying to sell to us as well. And
0: and that is the thing, you know, and I've worked on both sides and I've worked for the brands. Mm. And I think, you know, many brands are literally trying to bring you into the fold, create this cult-like mentality and Mm. they only tell you a little bit of the information not not the full story um to give you an example for instance sulfate free you know um that's a big one you know oh it's sulfate free you shouldn't use sulfate and if you think about it you know sulfate sulfates are a surfactant you normally find them in a cleanser Usually when we're saying sulfate-free, most most people are referring to sodium laurel sulfate. And it's probably the strongest surfactant. It's an anionic surfactant. It's very effective at what it does, but it is very stripping. In fact, any cleanser probably – cleansing is probably the most important step of your skincare regime because if you have a cleanser that is –
1: Most definitely.
0: Any cleanser is going to strip your barrier, really. So – it mm. depends on that ingredient in the cleanser and how the cleanser is formulated as to whether it's going to be overly stripping but of course you're washing you know the microbiome and you are affecting the barrier whatever form of cleanser you're using so you want to be using a really well
1: formulated
0: mm. cleanser I'm very passionate about that but when it comes to sodium lauryl sulfate for instance sure if you use it in a very high percentage or in a high percentage very basic formula, it will probably have potential to irritate your skin, especially if you're dry and sensitive. But if you had a small amount of sodium lauryl sulfate balanced with other surfactants that were more gentle, like an amphoteric and, um, and non-ionic, plus conditioning agents, plus super-fatting agents, and you have a beautifully well-rounded formula, that sulfate-containing product could be less stripping than one that is sulfate-free. So Mm. my point being that it's not so much about the individual ingredient. It ultimately will depend on how much of that ingredient is in there and what, and this is the thing that everybody misses, the key point is what else is in there because what you put in with another ingredient will either enhance its efficacy or decrease its efficacy or add soothing and conditioning benefits. Um, and people don't understand that. And it's the same with nutrition. You know, people get caught up on gluten and you mustn't. It's, it's like, well, what are you having the gluten with? Is it a refined carbohydrate with sugar and saturated fat? Or is it with whole grains and polyphenols and, you know, all the, all the nutrient benefit? It's going to have a very different effect in the body. And that's a really key element with skincare. You've got to look at the whole formula, not focus on just one individual ingredient and then start scaremongering. And for me, when people do that, I think
1: "Mm, they've got no idea. No, and that's a really good point. And I think, you know, I'm very big on using the right cleanser with a client as well. So for me, I do look for certain ingredients um, and how I prescribe a, a product like a cleanser for a client really comes down to that individual client um, what they're experiencing in their skin at the time, but also the environment that they're living with, you know. So if they're in an environment, and in Adelaide in particular, everyone here is dehydrated, um, everyone here has got some form of inflammation at the moment because it's winter turn, it's very harsh, it's very dry. So I think making choices and having a really good understanding of ingredients in product is crucial when you're prescribing products to clients because you have to have that understanding. Not only do we need more information about ingredients, which is everything you're telling us, but we also need to bring into the equation the client's skin condition as well as the environment that they're living with. You have to collaborate all that information together. Um, A point you made as well, um, you know, we're cleansing the skin, we're removing pollutants and and debris and all of that type of thing. And we're also removing or interfering with the skin barrier and the microbiome. Essentially our microbiome does come back, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so certain ingredients in products can be quite disruptive to microbiome on skin, can't it? It can be really disruptive. The Surfactants um,
0: will, will be um, certain fragrances, certain essential oils. Alcohol's a big one, um, as in mm. you know, ethanol type. Alcohol, so that will be disruptive to the microbiome. But again, as you said, it is temporary. This the the skin is very evolved and it's very yes. advanced. So we naturally have that pH on the skin, and ideally the the ideal pH for the microbiome is about four point seven. Um, skincare products will usually range between about a. It depends if it's if it's a hydroxy acid cleanser, it will be on the lower side of the the pH scale, but. Some cases mm-hmm. will be up there at about 6.5. So regardless of that anyway, I mean, you you want to keep around a sort of pH of 5, 5.5 5 ideally, but saying that your skin will come back very quickly if the pH has changed and then that microbiome will come back very quickly as well because it's evolved. We've evolved over thousands of years and the whole purpose of the microbiome is to fight off, you know, foreign invaders and be able to cope with that side of type of thing because that's what it's there for it's there to protect us so it's not going to just completely wipe it out Mm. you know there's a whole other debate about exfoliation and peels and you know things that are going to disrupt the microbiome and I'm sort of there's a time for everything don't get too precious because sometimes you can really disrupt the pH and you can get a good benefit from doing that other times you don't want to it depends on the skin Um, and everybody's microbiome is different but cleansing you you some cleansers have even got ingredients in there that are designed to nourish the microbiome and to, to nourish the natural moisturizing factor and not strip the skin. Um, so yes, the skin has got food on there, you know, natural oils and sweats to provide nutrients for the microbes that are living on the skin. So. My thing is not to over-cleanse. You know, if you've got people saying, you know, you need to, to pre-cleanse and you need to double-cleanse at three cleanses and you need to do that again in the morning. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that's when you're really going to start to impair the skin barrier. Or, you know, my husband the other day was frothing up all over in the shower, you know, all at foam, head to toe, you know, all over <laughs>
1: the-
0: That's not good for you. You know, wash, wash the bits that get smelly, but you don't have to lather absolutely everywhere, you know two, three times a day, sometimes less is more. And I'm a big believer in that with cleansing as well. I mean, obviously, if you wear heavy makeup, if you're in pollution, if you've got very oily skin, you will need more cleansing than someone with sensitive dry skin that doesn't wear as much makeup. And even that, um, there's no hard and fast rules. You know, that needs to be tailored for for everyone. So I think with skincare, you know, the question I get asked a lot is, um, you know, does this product work? What about this ingredient? And I think really it comes down to understanding ingredients, understanding ingredients can actually work together because I find percentage is a big thing. I get asked all the time. Yes. What's the percentage? What's the percentage? What's, what's the percentage? And we've been conditioned in society, more is better. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to topical ingredients in skincare, ingredients have an efficacy percentage. So they will come from a supplier and there will be a therapeutic guideline. So they will say, for instance, use between 2 to 5%. And then ideally the supplier will have done studies, preferably in vivo studies, which are in human, and they will say for the clinical results that you want for skin brightening, for instance, say, let's say niacinamide. Niacinamide for, say, mm. to have a beneficial effect on pigmentation, it's 5%. So if you're mm-hmm. using less than that, you'll probably get a benefit on soothing and skin barrier, but the evidence isn't there for pigmentation. Saying that, there's no evidence for a higher percentage of niacinamide. So evidence for safety and performance is between 2 to 5% say, for niacinamide, but pigmentation, you're looking at at 5%. So then again, Mm -hmm. if a brand is saying, well, we use 10% niacinamide or some, God forbid, even 20, why? Mm -hmm. You know, is that for marketing? Because we've got into this competition of mine is better because I've got more. Well, usually when you go above what the the therapeutic evidence and guidelines are, of course you're going to increase the risk of irritation. So with, with retinol. For instance, it's about what point um 0. 0.25 to 1% retinol. Now mm-hmm. I I've worked with brands where, you know, we used to ship the retinol on dry ice, cost a fortune. It was encapsulated, it was so potent, any more than 0.25%, your skin would red and peel. So we kept it at 0.25%. But then people were saying, but I want more. It's not enough. I want I want I want 1%. I'm like, if we give you more, you won't be able to use it. It will peel your skin off. Oh, but blah, blah, brand's got one percent. And then you think, well, is that shipped on dry ice and is it encapsulated? Or is it a maybe a a more oxidized form that isn't as potent, that's lost some of its efficacy? They can put it in a higher amount. My point being, even then, Usually, if you go a higher percent with a retinol, you're more likely going to get irritation. But sometimes, ingredients can be more potent at a lower percent, providing it's in the therapeutic recommended amount, depending on how stabilized. And, you know, is it encapsulated? Is it in a delivery system? So, the percentage can be quite misleading. And I do understand why some brands don't actually tell people the percentages because people get caught up in the percentage train and, and more is better and they don't understand the quality of the ingredient has a big impact. Also, what that ingredient is paired with can either enhance its efficacy or decrease its efficacy. And then you've got things like retinaldehyde, which mm. is required in a much lower amount than retinol. So that would be in like zero, um point. 0.25 to 0.05 mm-hmm. um i've never been good with decimal points so i hope i said that right but it's in a much <laughs> it's in a much lower amount and then you've got L-ascorbic acid which is a form of vitamin c usually in 10 to 20% but you could have an unstable vitamin c that is at a 20% that is less effective than a lower percent stable vitamin c so this mm. is where it gets very confusing and it ultimately comes down to to formula and then you've got other forms of vitamin c oil soluble forms like um ascorbyl tetraisopalmitate which you know it's a probably less studied form but it's gaining a lot of popularity because you it's oil soluble it's better penetration it's more stable and there's efficacy data there between 2 to 5% so you know that's nowhere near as high as but, L-ascorbic but somebody would go well I was told you need 10 to 20 percent and you've only got two percent and it's very hard to then have to explain that to people same with hydroxy acids you know and pH and percentage
1: will most all- definitely
0: will all make a difference as well so percentage matters to a certain degree you need to have the efficacy data and use the right amount to get the result but at the same time the higher the percentage isn't always the better. And again, that's a red flag for me when brands are saying, we have the highest percent available. I'm like, is that just a marketing ploy to get people to buy your product? Where's, where's the safety data for that or the efficacy data? Um, Are you getting more skin irritation? What's the quality of the ingredient you're using? Even to be able to afford to put it in that that much higher percentage as well because ingredient prices will hugely vary depending on the quality. Um, Niacinamide, for instance, that will will vary in price depending on the quality of the niacinamide. So Mm.
1: most people wouldn't
0: realise that, and you can't tell that from an inky list either.
1: No, you can't. And, and you know, this concerns me as well because there is a lot of misleading information with regard to percentages. And being in a clinic environment, I do have clients come in saying, oh, I've been using at 0.05% or 0.2, 0.25% and retinol. I, can... <laughs> I, I get confused myself. Um, but, you know, I've been doing that for ages. I want to jump up to the 20. I've got a brand in the clinic, a Medicaid brand of retinol, retinaldehyde, the crystal retinol. It's very effective. I do love prescribing that for clients, but they automatically think, "Oh my god, the 20s out! I really want to jump up to the 20." But in essence, they really can't use that on their skin because not all skins can tolerate that amount of retinoldehyde. So they'll end up having an adverse reaction. So, you know what you're saying—that higher percentages isn't always the best. Less is actually more, um, and it means you can consistently use it at a lower percentage and get a much better change in the skin as opposed to going to a higher percentage and only being able to use it once a week and potentially having, you know, uh, an adverse reaction. I had this client in Sydney, um, this patient I was looking after when I was working for the surgeon, and she was using, and we can talk about this, Yeah, the medical-grade vitamin A. She was using Retin-A for years, um, and she came into the practice and wanted me to do treatments to tighten her skin. So she was after skin-tightening procedures, when I looked at her skin after using Retin-A for so many years, that, that I don't think I've ever seen such a skin thin, a, a thin skin barrier. It was so thin. It was over-exfoliating. It was so red. There was no lipid in that barrier whatsoever. She's sort of shiny and waxy looking. Oh, my goodness, was she ever. And I, I literally, I couldn't do anything on her. I, I couldn't do a thing on her. So, so I had to explain to her, that what she's actually doing to her skin is actually worse. It's actually aging her than me going in and doing a radio frequency treatment or a skin needling procedure. You, you literally can't work on these people. So you want to be able to use these ingredients. You want to have an understanding of the formulation, which is what I love hearing from you, um, because we want to nurture the skin back to health. We want to train the skin back to health and marry up those ingredients with the right procedure so that they work well together. And I think, you know. Does it, that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I totally
0: agree. And I think it ultimately comes down to the formulation overall because yeah, you want to, and we're both very aligned in giving the skin what it needs to work for itself and to work at its optimum function. You don't necessarily have to get a bulldozer and, you know, attack it, which is, you know, that I think that was a concept probably from 15 years ago, you know, when it was all sort of, wound healing, wound healing, harder, harder. Um, Now we know that it's just sort of gentle um, coaching of the skin and giving the skin what it needs without sort of giving it too much, I believe, anyway, to get it at at its optimum skin health. And I think, you know, too much of anything isn't going to be a good thing. So we don't want too much of, you know, even even ingredients such as antioxidants can be pro-oxidant when you have too much. And I don't think people Mm. realise that either. So um, we need to get the right balance. And ultimately it does come down to trusting the company that you're buying the product from. My advice is if it is working for you, keep using it. If someone's saying don't use that and they're scaremongering but can't really give you a good reason why, but also they don't have great skin and everybody else you know using that product doesn't have good skin, that's some Bells for me. I mean, there are the people out there that use brands that maybe go against what you think may work for the skin. Maybe, you know, the pHs are a bit extreme or they, you know, certain ingredients in there that you're told aren't great. But again, we've just understood that you can't tell a lot just by one ingredient, it's what else it's mixed with. So then when you understand that and then you look at, at the skin, you go, okay, well, they've all got good skin. So it's working. Um, And I think it's important to understand that. So you can't go, this ingredient's bad, this is good. It's so much more complex than that. And when we make it that simple, that is when we get ourselves into trouble, I think. And I think as a young therapist, when I first started out, I was taught that very black and white, this is bad, this is good. And to be honest, it was a sales marketing and I believe, yeah. And I believe silicones were bad for the skin. I was taught that. Um, now I know that they're incredible for skin barrier. They don't suffocate the skin. They don't stop things getting through. Um, they don't. They're completely hypoallergenic. They're non-comedogenic. Um, they're fantastic. Um, but I used to be really, really paranoid about anything with silicones in. Um, I was also paranoid about anything with fragrance in to the point where I just didn't want to use anything with fragrance and now I'm a lot more lenient on that because I realized well again it's really only an issue if you've got a sensitivity to fragrance personally some fragrances I don't like Um, I don't like something that's very perfumed and overpowering but if it's a very subtle scent that's fine and I cannot stand anything that smells of citronella that type of that just I can't cope <laughs> that's just a personal thing for me um and fragrance is so polarizing some people want fragrance some people don't and I think that's okay but it's important to understand that rather than you know go around think oh how could you because I went through that phase I was that therapist that was oh no you can't have that oh this this is terrible and this is bad and then when you sort of do a bit more digging you realize quite often those brands don't give you the full information and then classic example i i use is that is an apple and it would be like me saying to you rose rose did you know that um apples contain cyanide did you know cyanide's a heavy metal did you know um it's the poison and did you know you die from consuming cyanide and you die from arsenic too did you know that like poison you will die from poison so you will then think oh apples contain poison poison Um, The poison in the apple must therefore be dangerous to me and I shouldn't have apples and I'm going to get poison. You know, people sort of put two and two together. So, yes, apples may contain cyanide, but it's in a minute amount in the seed. You're probably not eating the seed. Even if you did eat the seed, you would never eat enough in your lifetime for it to have a toxic effect. So it's irrelevant. You know, there's heavy metals in all of our food. Um, you know arsenic in rice etc it's not an issue unless somebody wants to go down that route of scaremongering you've got to get the whole you know context of of what's yeah about and I think um, the most key message takeaway here is really more doesn't mean it's better. The higher the percent doesn't necessarily mean you've got a better product. The final formula is king. You know, what the ingredients to mix with is important. If it is working for you and you're getting results and you love that product, then keep using it. That's my advice. And is the person recommending the product to you Are they practice what they're preaching? You know, do they look good? It's like going to someone that's telling you how to lose weight and they're morbidly obese. I'm not going to take their advice, quite honestly. Um, And it's the same with skincare. And I understand people have problematic skin conditions. But if you are practicing what you preach, you can really manage most skin conditions. And if you know 10 different people using that product and they all don't have great skin, Maybe it's not the right product to be looking at. Or if they all have great skin, then maybe you want to try it. That's usually an indicator for me as well. Um, Yeah,
1: I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Um, You do need to look at clients' skin or everyone's skin, whatever product they're using, because that will give you definitely um, the answers as to how well that product is actually working within skin. But as a therapist, Fiona, what is the most important thing we should look at when understanding formulations and when we can't possibly know the knowledge that you have unless we went and did a, a degree like you have done what are some of the the key points that you think you can give to therapists to really have a bit better understanding with the formulation of ingredients what are some of the key ingredients that we should look for that marry up really well together that make that formulation a lot more pleasant on the skin You know, with a cleanser, for example, um, or with a vitamin C or with a vitamin A, obviously a vitamin A, we want it encapsulated. Vitamin E is a really good one to have together. What about vitamin C? What should we look for? And even with vitamin E, for
0: instance, it depends on the form of vitamin E. So most vitamin E will be in there as an antioxidant to the formula. It's not Mm -hmm. actually anything for the skin. So it's a different form of vitamin C that will have a benefit to the skin, but it won't do anything to preserve the formula. So you can tell by the form of vitamin E what it's doing in the formula. So tocopherol acetate, for instance, will have no, mm. um, no antioxidant benefit on the formula. It's purely there for the skin. But if you've got mixed tocopherols, or, you know, it's not tocopherol acetate, it's more likely there to stop the formula from oxidizing and going rancid. It's not so much doing anything for your skin. Um, if you've got kefirol acetate and mixed dekepharols, then you've probably got, you know, the antioxidant for the formula and also
1: for the skin as well. So, Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got that. So if there's a product, say, for example, a night cream that has antioxidants, that's repairing, that has vitamin E, and then there's a vitamin A with vitamin E, those ingredients are doing, are doing two completely different things because possibly. of the products that they are in, possibly. Well, okay. Not even the products that they're in. It depends
0: on the form of vitamin C that's been used. Uh, sorry, the form mm. of vitamin E that's been used. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, we know vitamin C and vitamin E work, work well together. Um, but, again, it depends on the form of vitamin C that you're using. So you could marry uh, an oil-soluble vitamin C with a B, whereas years ago you would never put B and C together, but more Mm. for your ascorbic acid. Um, So, you know, certain ingredients are going to work well together with with your vitamin A's. You're going to want things to stabilise it. So encapsulation, you're going to want antioxidants. With oils and things like that, you're going to want more antioxidants in the oils to stop those from oxidising. Yeah. So... With a, a cleanser, for instance, you, you want conditioning agents. And this is where with cleansers, for instance, I've always said the more you pay for a product, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily relate to the quality of, of the product. You can't really tell. You could buy a product that is very expensive that maybe not be the best product ever, you know, but they've just put a big markup on it and you're paying for packaging and marketing and, and all of that stuff. But when it comes to things like cleansers, you know... Th- If you're working with a chemist, for instance, they will say, you know, what's your budget? And you'll have a budget, you'll have a mid-range product, and then you'll have a high-end product. So a high-end product, you would expect more of a a premium price point, and you would expect sort of extra bells and whistles. So, for instance, with the cleanser, you'd probably have multiple surfactants in there to make it more gentle on the skin. Some surfactants are more expensive than others. Sodium lauryl sulfate is a cheap surfactant, let's face it. Mm. so they, you you may have more of um, a different blend of surfactants. You may then have super fatting agents. You may might be a, a peg and that's a whole other debate. We'll talk about that in the next episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you might have conditioning agents such as polyquats. Um, you may have skin soothing ingredients, hydrating ingredients. Um, so all of those ingredients are going to cost money. And so that would make some cleansers that can actually be very, very expensive. And if you're using, say, an oil cleanser, that's going to be a lot more expensive than, say, a foaming cleanser to formulate, depending on what else has been put in that foaming cleanser. But you could have a very cheap budget foaming cleanser that's quite stripping, or you could have more of a high-end one. Now, the price to, in that regard would be, in you know, in a premium product, you'd, you'd be paying more. So you're not going to get a really cheap cleanser with really high-end quality ingredients. And that's same with, say, your vitamin A products, your vitamin C. L-ascorbic acid is a very cheap ingredient, but say a lipid-soluble um, vitamin C is a lot more expensive. How mm-hmm. effective those products are, Um, again, it depends on the stabilization. You could then have a very stabilized form of L-ascorbic and a very complicated formulation that makes it expensive. So don't just think, you know, it's going to be rubbish. L-ascorbic is the most studied form of vitamin C with the most efficacy um, or evidence. However, it comes with side effects and complications of formulating and, Mm. and, you know, breakouts and skin sensitivity on a lot of people.
1: Mm, Definitely. Um,
0: So... You know, peptides, your retinaldehyde tends to be a lot more expensive and a lot harder to stabilize. So most companies will use retinol um, as opposed to retinaldehyde. So retinaldehyde products tend to be a little bit more expensive as well. Um, And your antioxidants and your peptides and certain um, ceramides can be really expensive as well. So it really depends on how many active they're in there, what else even with the... You know, is is it got a fragrance in there? A fragrance will be a lot cheaper than essential oils because then essential oils need antioxidants and and all those sorts of things. So in a way, price is reflective, but if a product is $500 for a cream, is that reflective in the price? Probably not. You're just paying $500 for a cream, but you've probably got a lot Mm. of expensive ingredients in there, don't get me wrong, but not probably $500 worth.
1: Yeah, and I would probably agree with you Um, on that as well. I think um, there is a lot of marketing being paid for. There's a lot of packaging being paid for, for the name as well. Um, But then you have got some brands that do, for example, cold press their ingredients, and that can be quite an expensive um, formulation for, you know, developing a product as well. Would you agree? Not really? Not really. No, interesting. Well, it it, it depends. If you're buying...
0: um... It it wouldn't put the price up there that much. Put it that way. Like if if you were using ceramides and peptides, or you were using if you were using organic ingredients, that's definitely going to put the price up. Mm-hmm. Um, certain natural preservatives is going to put the price up. Um, if you're using all sort of an oil based cleanser, for instance, oils can be expensive. So natural oils will be a lot more expensive, for instance, than a petroleum type product or a mineral oil. So mm-hmm. yes, to a certain degree, but not to the point of it's, you know, $500,000 saying that though, I see nothing wrong with investing that much in a product if it makes you feel good, because we all need a little bit of magic. And I'm all about bringing joy back to the world of skincare. You know, if you've got a beautiful looking cream that you spent money on and it makes you feel special and it's your hope in a jar and it, it it's your feel good product, then I'm all for that. If you can afford to do it and you want to do it. What I'm not for is when people are, I guess, misled into thinking they're getting something then they're not and they can't afford it, you know, and they, they've gone without food for three weeks to get something and they think it's going to, make them look 10 years younger it's about having realistic expectations but by all means pay what you want for skincare you know it's like some people will spend thousands on a handbag and other people won't some people will spend thousands on a bottle of wine and other people won't i won't waste money on alcohol i just can't do it it's not my thing alcohol is not my thing but i know other people would spend ten thousand dollars on a bottle of wine um and I see skincare as the same thing. You know, you can you can buy good skincare at a low price point. You can buy good skincare at a high price point. Ultimately, it's your life. It's your enjoyment. And if it makes you feel special and you're getting great results, go for it. That's my That's my advice.
1: I think that's a really good point because working with clients on an everyday basis, you've got different clients that look for different things with skincare. Some people don't want to pay past a certain amount. They're happy with just whatever it is. Don't give me a $500 cream. They just want something very consolidated that does the job, very simple. But then you will get the client, which I I think I fall in this category, um, that will go and spend $500 on a cream. I will look at the ingredients and what it's going to do for me, but I'll also look at how that product is packaged. I'll look at how it actually makes me feel. I'll look at um, how it smells. You know, there are certain things that I will look for. If I'm going to spend that amount of money on a product, I want to know, number one, it's going to work and it's going to do something and it's good for me, but it's also going to make me feel pretty good as well. And and I guess, you know, there are people out there that will spend that amount of money that will treat themselves as well. They'll think, you know, I really want to treat myself and I want to buy myself something special. So there's that analogy as well. Yeah. Bottom line is, though, so whatever you're paying for, you need to know that it's going to work for you. You need to know that you're not going to be misled into paying for something that is not going to work and, like you said, be misled with the wrong information. I think that has to come into it as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think on that note, mm. the moral of the story is if you love it, if it's working for you, then keep using it. If it's not there and you really want to get results from your skincare, then probably the best thing for you is to go and seek advice from a skin professional that knows what they're talking about and, um, and
1: they can then advise you on the right product? Oh, absolutely. Anyone that really is serious about their skin that wants to look after themselves long-term and really age in the healthiest way possible, I think they definitely need professional advice. And skin will change. As you get older, skin also changes. You know, ingredients will change. Your skin will need different things at different times depending on your environment, what you're going through and what your skin's doing. So, Advice, ongoing advice with a professional that's consistent, I think is incredibly important.
0: Absolutely. And saying that, just to finish up, because we we're meant to keep our time down because we waffle.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) We're waffling again. I love I love our waffling. I think we're known probably for waffling, but at least we waffle on good things. uh, um, You know, at the end of the day, if you know your skin and you know what works for you. You might not need professional advice. You know, everyone's different, again. You know, some people like to do their own research as well. So I'm also conscious of not being that I'm a skin professional and only I know the right answer for you, which I have had that said to me many a time. And it's infuriating as a consumer when, when somebody does that, if you do know quite a bit about your skin and you've been using skincare for years or, you know. So I also sort of want to throw that in as well. Because we are both skin professionals, we're going to say speak to a skin professional for your best advice. But there are people out there um, that actually do know a lot about skin and sometimes it blows my mind how much they know and they may be getting great results and happy doing what they're doing and go for
1: it. You know, that's actually a really good point because I've been in that situation with clients where they actually genuinely know a lot about skincare and they know about certain ingredients that they can't use on their skin so that's actually a really good point i'm glad you brought that up but i think as professionals for us we can probably fill in some gaps yes. as to why they're reacting to things and, and what really is going on for them with that particular product or ingredient so that's a really good point
0: absolutely well i'm going to cut you off now rose so we'll just be talking for hours um i think okay. it- The next episode, we're going to be talking more a little bit in detail about some of the myths out there with the ingredients. So we'll just
1: be, we'll be going into ingredients a little bit more detail. I look forward to that.